whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts. Everyone and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter Boss, the host of the show, and with me again is my good friend, my wonderful co-host, Cameron Cote. How are you, sir? I am doing well. I'm super excited, as always, for this interview in particular, though, because Liz Wheeler is is such a cool and confident voice in the, the culture war sphere. I know that a ton of my info comes from Jonathan, our colleague Jonathan Van Maren at thebridgehead.ca. Um, in some ways, I feel like Liz actually does a similar kind of vibe down in the States. And so I'm super interested because I, I always love reading Jonathan's content on his blog about what's going on around the world. And, and she's just a similar, bold, competent voice in the culture war. So I'm excited for this interview. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Feeling great and also excited for this interview. Uh, before we get into it, before I do the introduction of Liz Wheeler, for those of you who are new to the podcast, we are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of pre-born children here in Canada, which is where we live. And we've started this podcast to give you the tools that you need to change minds and save lives on abortion, to have the conversational tools, the, the tactics that we need to have those really good, winsome, effective conversations so that we can not build bridges in the, not build walls in the conversation, but break them down and see people change their minds. So go check out some of the other episodes. Some of them are very specifically apologetic in their nature. Others, we talk to uh, leaders in the pro-life movement. So go check them out. And this podcast is brought to you by the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, the organization we both work for. If you're in Canada, if you're passionate about ending the killing, if you want to get involved, if you want to receive training, if you want to connect yourself to a pro-life community, do reach out to us at the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. You can... Um, Sign up to be a volunteer on our website and the killing.ca under the get active, get active tab. I think that's what it's called. Um, get active tab uh, under the volunteer um, tab and uh, fill in your information. We'll reach out to you and connect you to a pro-life community in your neighborhood. If there is one or give you the tools you need to start one, if there is not. All right. Liz Wheeler is our guest today. She is an American conservative political commentator, author and podcast host. From 2015 to 2020, Wheeler hosted One American News Network's Tipping Point with Liz Wheeler. In 2019, she published her first book, which is titled Tipping Points, How to Topple the Left's House of Cards. And Liz just launched The Liz Wheeler Show, which is a video podcast that will deliver a personal, researched, and unapologetic take on how we think about our culture and the ensuing culture war. Here is our conversation with Liz Wheeler.
Liz, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so are we. We're extremely thankful, uh, not only for you being here, but also for the the work that you do in the culture war and uh, and just being a bold voice for conservative values. Now, one of the places that you want to take these conservative values is the podcast world with your new show called The Liz Wheeler Show. Um, so let's talk about that for a moment. What inspired you to begin this initiative and what is the goal that you have with this podcast? Yeah, great question. I'm still super excited about this. We launched it last week. We've done three episodes so far, and it's been so encouraging to, speak, to see people's reactions. So I want to thank everybody listening who's already subscribed and given us five-star reviews. And if you haven't, please go to Apple Podcasts and do that. Um, the goal of this show is to be a little different. First of all, the podcast format is fun, as you know, because it gives you a more personal connection with your audience versus the more formal presentation of a cable news television show, which is what I did before. So I've been wanting to have a more personal connection with my listeners and my viewers for a long time. So that's really fun so far. But the goal of this podcast is to acknowledge that conservatives in general have lost the culture war. We have we have lost it thus far. It doesn't mean that it's a foregone conclusion that we've lost it completely forever, that it's irrevocably lost, but we have been losing it so far. I mean, you can just look at the billboard charts, for example, and see Cardi B's song WAP at the top. You can't see that and think that conservatives are winning the culture war. I mean, please, you can't. So I think we need to acknowledge that we're losing in order to stop playing defense and start playing offense, start being champions of reality. And that's what I want to do on the show. I want to be people's go-to podcast when they have the question, is this true? What are the facts? Is this reality? And what can I do aside from in the United States, casting your, your ballot once every four years for the president? What can I do in between to make a difference and help protect these institutions, which underpin our moral society? Bam. Yeah. And, and Liz, I think that's so important. Like you said, because so many people only think of the elections as their opportunities to get involved and to make change and, oh, we lost this election. Okay. We'll have to start gearing up for the next one. Um, and, and yet the battlegrounds that we're, we're dealing with in reality, aren't necessarily just the ballot boxes. They are the, the institutions, like you mentioned, college campuses, university campuses, high schools, even, and, I think that's so important that you're bringing this conservative worldview in that space, because as I'm sure you know, so many of these different portals that people are getting their information from, not only the CNNs of the world, the primetime news, but social media, everything else, it seems to be very, very radical left leaning. And it's just a breath of fresh air to have a clear, concise and confident kind of conservative voice jumping in there. And I'm curious what the feedback has been so far, not only um, in the podcast world, but just in general from people who are realizing that they don't have to be ashamed of their conservative values. So the number of people that I've spoken with who feel like they have to be silent about the conservative values because of the social pressures and social norms of society. I can't um, have this. What kind of message do you have for people who do hold these conservative worldviews that need to be a little bit more confident and a little bit more proactive in engaging their peers in this culture war that we can't just wait for it to come upon us. We actually have to, like you said, go out and initiate some of these conversations. What what words of encouragement do you have for people that have been on the, the backbench so far? are in the culture war. Right. So I, this is a really good question. And it's something that I get a lot of messages about, a lot of emails, a lot of tweets, a lot of DMs about all the time. People 
are thankful to have people like you or people like me who are thought leaders in these cultural realms because they feel the same way that we do, but they're told that it's intolerant, they're told that it's bigoted, they're told that they're being exclusionary, you know, what have you, all the different is and isms that the left accuses us uh, of constantly just for being realistic. But I, I, I talked to a group of pro-life students maybe about a month ago, two or three weeks, four weeks ago. I talked to a group of pro-life students and I told them that the primary message that I had for them that day was, you are not a weirdo. You are not a weirdo. Even though on college campuses, you feel marginalized, you feel alone, you feel like the proverbial other that the Democrats always, uh, always talk about, you actually are not alone and you're not a weirdo. You are looking at reality. You are looking at the facts and you're basing your worldviews and your political policy preferences and even the way that you cast your ballot around reality. And while it might seem like you're in the minority on a college campus, and on a college campus you probably are, there are a lot of other people who feel the same way who are frightened to say so. But if you look at public opinion polls on abortion, for example, in the United States, this and this surprises people when I talk about this statistic, in the United States, 81% of voters, 81, that means Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, pro-choice, pro-life, 81% of people want late-term abortion, meaning third-trimester abortion banned. So here we have the most polarizing topic that you can possibly imagine, the most emotional topic you can possibly imagine, abortion. We have these two sides that are on extreme ends of the spectrum, and yet the overwhelming majority of the American people actually agree on it, right? So this is, you should see the faces on kids when I tell them this, because they're like, oh, really? We thought that we were alone. We thought that we were... Um, you know, on this in this little minority group of people who want to champion life. And I say no. And it gets even better than that. For second trimester abortion, it's 60% of people in our country who want that completely illegalized. The overwhelming majority of people even want second trimester abortion illegalized. You are in the majority in our country. You are not alone. Do not be afraid to talk about it. You don't have to talk about it from a religious standpoint. If you don't want to, you can play to your audience. You can talk about it from a scientific standpoint, from a moral standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, from a political standpoint, any way you want. But don't be afraid to speak reality. The reality of the of the, the reality of the thing when it comes to abortion is life begins at conception and therefore we have no right to end that life. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you end on that note because I, I, I'm so encouraged by the polling that, that you see in America that, that there is an overwhelming majority of people who are sympathetic to the pro-life worldview. In other places around the world, I, Peter, you and I know that in Canada, there, there isn't quite that odds. The most recent polls say that, that I mean, two-thirds majority of Canadians don't actually care about abortion really at all. If pushed on the issue, they might say that they're uncomfortable. Um, but I mean, we're trying to pass a sex-selective abortion bill here in Canada um, where it says that it's wrong to kill baby girls because they're baby girls. We can't even get traction on that. And yet at the end of the day, that message that you say of you're not weird, you're not the radical for thinking that it's inappropriate right. to rip apart the youngest and most vulnerable member of the human family. That's not a radical worldview to say that you can't kill weak and innocent human beings. The radical worldview is the one that says no. that you can absolutely kill whomever you need to for your convenience sort of thing. And I think that that's the clear message that, that you mentioned there, that, that human life begins at fertilization. This is not um, a religious perspective. This is an objective fact that anybody, regardless of their background, can relate to, right? 
Right. And I would say, too, I haven't read the study that you're referring to about public opinion on abortion in Canada. But whenever you see those, be and you know this, I'm sure, but be very skeptical of the wording and the methodology, because oftentimes when pro-abortion activists want to skew people's opinion, they want to make it seem like the majority view is pro-choice. They just ask people, are you pro-choice? Are you pro-life? Because almost everyone, not almost everyone, but a majority of people are going to say, sure, I'm pro-choice because it doesn't actually get to the heart of the matter. Do you think third trimester abortion should be legal, illegal, or in some circumstances? Do you think second trimester abortion, which, and then detail the procedure itself, should be legal, illegal, or only in certain circumstances? So be very careful with those opinion polls because those are usually propaganda polls in my experience. The second thing is when, when we talk about life beginning at fertilization, there was this really interesting, and I, I've spoken about this before publicly, but there was this really interesting study done by a PhD student named Steve Jacobs at the University of Chicago, where he asked, yeah, you guys are familiar with it. He asked people in a scientifically done survey, who do you think is the authority to answer the question, when does a human life begin? And the majority of people said, well, academic biologists have the or are the authoritative source on this. So Steve Jacobs then conducted a scientific survey of academic biologists all around the world asking them, when does a human life begin? And 95% of them said, at the moment of conception, when an egg fuses with a sperm, that is the moment that a human life begins. And the other 5%, just for entertainment purposes, said things like, are you a white supremacist? Are you a Christian? Don't send me this effing survey. So clearly their, their opinions were based in science. But that in and of itself, I think, is one of the most winning arguments that the pro-life movement can use publicly. Because when people hear that, if they're on the fence, they know in their heart what's right. And when they have the evidence to back that up, the scientific evidence to back it up, it really does change their mind. Yeah, that's that's an indication to me, and we've talked about it on the on the podcast before, that biologists and scientists might be good scientists and they might be good biologists, but they happen to be particularly bad philosophers when they yeah. say that human life begins at fertilization, and yet they still associate with the pro-choice or a pro-abortion movement. And I I just want to say one thing about the polling you said as well. I've I've talked to countless people on the streets. Some people said I'm pro-life, but they had a few exceptions. And some people said I'm pro-choice, but they had a they had a few exceptions. And they kind of ended up being kind of in the same camp, although they used different labels to identify themselves. And so it's a really good point you made. Now I want to talk. So you said one thing about the culture war and how we've lost a lot of it, but you've you've written a little bit about the pro-life movement and how there's that's a bit of an anomaly within the culture war. But before yeah. we get there, um, I love getting to know my guests a little bit. You talked about being on a university campus is weird um, when you have these, you know, conservative values and you think that uh, ending the life of a human being is, uh, you know, evil and, and should not happen uh, in light of the countless others on your university campus who think that it should be OK. But how did you get to this point? I'm curious. Um, were you always pro-life? Did you grow up in a pro-life family? Um, or was there a, a sort of journey to get to where you are today, not only to have these sort of social conservative convictions, but also to be bold about them in the public square? Well, I think that's a multifactorial question. Yes, I was raised in a conservative family. I also have brothers and sisters who are significantly younger than I am. My youngest sister is 13 years younger than me. So I was there during my mom's pregnancy. I always say that my generation, the millennial generation, is kind of the refrigerator door generation because we grew up seeing our brothers and sisters, the ultrasound pictures of them pasted to the refrigerator door. And you can't really see that and just and hear their heartbeat and see you know the tiny little fingers and toes and justify that with abortion. So yes, I was raised in a conservative, pro-life, Catholic, Christian household. I also grew up seeing 
uh, seeing my mom pregnant, seeing my mom give birth to these wonderful, perfectly formed little babies. Again, can't justify that with abortion. And then personality wise, how did I get so outspoken? Well, my mom tells me that I've always been argumentative. So for better or for worse, that's God's blessing or curse on me. So when I got interested in the actual policy of the thing, not just the personal conviction, when I got interested in the policy of the thing, it was a natural fit because I am bold about what I think is right. I do. I am stung by injustice and feel the impetus to fight for people who can't fight for themselves, especially when I have the ability to do it for them. Um, and so for the pro-life movement was a very natural fit for me because it meets all of the criteria, my religious beliefs, morally, my moral beliefs, a genocide happening in our nation, the science is on our side, these unborn babies and these women victimized by abortion need people to speak up for it. And here I am ready to speak. So that's become, that's become my thing. Bingo. And praise God for that. I, I think it's so key that we have these bold and confident, competent speakers as well. I, I, I can't um, thank you enough for the competency that, that you go into this. Unfortunately, I've heard a lot of pro-life um, speakers in different areas cite um, incorrect. So my, my background is in genetics. I, I've got a degree in biology from UVic. And, and I, I talk a lot of the science within the organization, within a, a lot of other pro-life groups, and try to bring them up to speed on a lot of the science of, of when human life begins and whatnot. And it's so valuable to have people like you who have that confidence and the competence coupled together to mobilize more and more people. That This isn't just a soapbox that you're standing on, but rather a call to action, a, a, an invitation to people that they need to get involved. And this isn't something that that is going to end by the three of us just sharing on our podcast and and speaking into the the choir, as it were. We're we're trying to mobilize people for action, I'm sure. And yeah. and that's something that we need to see more and more of. And and I wonder. I'm sure that you have some guests or, or, or some folks who tune into your show who say, you know what, why don't you just focus on the other conservative issues, those that are a little less controversial. I'm sure that there's there's so many. I mean, you could, you could talk about any number of things, whether it's tax reform or financial stuff or whatever, that I'm sure prickles a few um, fewer people than the abortion issue. Why is it that that you've made, or why why is it do you see that that abortion is kind of a central issue in the culture? Well, why is it that we need to focus on abortion specifically and not just other issues, whether it's um, traditional marriage, whether it's um, rights for for families or or other kind of free speech kind of issues? Why is abortion such an important issue right now in America and around the world? I guess. Oh, well, I think because the right to life is the fundamental of all the rights. Without the right to life, all other rights become obsolete. So you can fight for the other rights, and we should, we ought to, and we do, but the right to life is the first right. It is the foremost right, and it is the right that's being the most brutally violated. I mean, you know the numbers in Canada better than I do, but here in the United States, since abortion became legal after Roe v. Wade, there's been 60 million abortions. That's 60 million Americans who have been killed in the womb for no crime other than the fact that it was convenient for their mothers to do that and their mothers were manipulated and victimized by the abortion, the profiting, profit-seeking abortion industry. And we, ha we have to stand up for these people. We have to because history is going to judge us as well. They're going to look at this time in our country and say, look at the slaughter. Look at what was happening. Look at the reality of the thing. And you knew better. This wasn't a matter of not knowing what the science is or not knowing what that was inside a mother's womb as her as her belly gets bigger during pregnancy you knew better you knew better and yet you allowed this to happen anyway i could never pass on that legacy to my daughter now or 
you know, her daughter potentially in the future. I could never pass that on and answer that question. How come you didn't do anything and just shrug and say, well, I don't know. It was uncomfortable to talk about. And that's that's the other thing is we have to acknowledge that some of these issues, whether it's transgenderism, whether it's abortion, whether it's marriage, whether it's the family, these can be very uncomfortable to talk about. They can be uncomfortable for people to talk about because they don't want to see seem like they're standing in judgment of another person. They don't want to seem like they're excluding somebody. They don't want to seem just being mean. They don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. They'd rather talk about television. They'd rather talk about what's going on, you know, down the road. They'd rather talk about whatever, you know, just small talk. And there's nothing wrong with that human instinct inclination to not want to talk about something uncomfortable. But we have to. We have to talk about these uncomfortable things. We just have to do it in a compassionate, realistic manner. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the things that we are passionate about on the podcast, that what you ended with sharing about these issues in a compassionate and uh, kind of a winsome manner, because I, I know I love and maybe you being, you know, as you describe yourself, an argumentative person. I know I love the sort of like so and so destroys this worldview and so and so yeah. debunks that particular position. But when we're trying to change a culture and when we're trying to actually get people to shift their opinion on these particular issues, having that sort of mindset in our conversations is probably not going to be the most conducive in reaching that end. And so that's a really, really key point. Now, you mentioned at the beginning that we're in a culture war that in many ways we're losing. Um, and now you've you've spoken and uh, spoken for One American News Network. You have the Liz Wheeler show where you are, I mean, wading into this conversation about conservative values where you've already admitted that um, in many ways, we've we've lost or are losing, perhaps. But you've also written about the success that the pro-life movement has had. And I would just want to yeah. uh, share a quote that you have here from an article you wrote to win. Conservatives must admit we're losing. And this is what you say. And I quote, conservatives have spent decades defending the one yard line, acquiescing little by little as we creep closer to the point of no return. Don't get me wrong. Conservatives do claim cultural victories particularly regarding public opinion on abortion and life, and should be proud of that. But on the vast majority of cultural battlegr battlegrounds, the radical left is overtaking reality with delusion, which is a great last line there. Um, but in terms of the success of the pro-life movement, what do you think is attributed to that? Yeah, so I, I think there's two things. So what I was referencing specifically in that sentence, in that article, was the statistics we just talked about, the public opinion in the United States on abortion. We have, the pro-life movement has won this cultural battle. Ironically, the two conversations that we're talking about today are the fact that conservatives are losing the culture war, and then the one the one contradiction to that, the one area conservatives are winning, which is good. We should pattern our behavior after that. But conservatives are also winning it legally. In the United States, um, just this year alone, in 2021, there's been over 500 pieces of legislation introduced into state legislatures that are pro-life bills. A 61 of those, 61 of those have become law, been signed by the governors of their states. That is not only a cultural win, that's a political win. And in that sentence is the lesson for other um, areas of the culture war, that to win legislatively, to win legally, we first have to win culturally, right? So we have to change hearts and minds before it's going to become law, before we're going to be able to restore and reclaim whatever institution we're talking about. And conversely, if we don't win the cultural aspect of it, we're never going to win it legislatively. We're going to lose in the politics before we even begin. Yeah, absolutely. And so Knowing what we know about the pro-life movement, what sort of advice or, or what sort of recommendations would you have for 
conservatives on the the vast amount of other social conservative issues that we're concerned about. Um, what can we learn from the pro life movement, and how like how would you suggest navigating our way forward? I mean, we need cultural sure. change, but is it like? I mean, what is that? What is that going to look like from your vantage right. point? Right, and you asked before. I should have answered this more clearly. You asked before what it was that the pro life movement did to enact this change, and what they did is they were they targeted reality. You know, you can look at live action and Lila Rose, for example, their man on the street videos, where they actually show people um, they show people a video of what an abortion procedure is, and they say, "Does this change your mind on whether or not abortion should be legal?" Because oftentimes people think of abortion very euphemistically. They think of it as autonomy or choice or a difficult situation or let me respect your what you're doing and not impose my views on you. But they don't think of abortion for what it is. They don't think of the instruments and the procedure and the blood and the pain and the death, et cetera, et cetera. And you couple that reality, the reality of abortion with the reality of when life begins, and you get this unjustifiable position. So the pro-life movement in America, by focusing just on that one word, by focusing on reality, not being bombastic, not being sensationalist, not condemning people, not getting angry, not destroying people for clicks, but just focusing on the reality of the thing and going straight to the people with that reality, bypassing all of the euphemism, the political parties and the cable news networks that try to obscure it and the people that are uncomfortable talking about it, they focused on reality. That is a template for almost any other issue that you can talk about. If you show people the reality of the thing, People crave reality. That's what they look for. They, that's why they turn to so many new media things like my show or your show, because they know they're not getting the truth from the mainstream networks and the mainstream publications and the big tech you know, platforms that are censoring information. They crave reality. When you give them reality and you show them versus just saying, this is my opinion, follow me because I said so. You show them reality and you show, you from, show them from where reality derives, you will change their mind on almost any issue. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important to focus on of the direct engagement as well. I, I feel like so many conservatives just want to be able to put up a billboard and just like, you know, we, we put up our billboard. We don't have to worry about engaging any of my neighbors, any of my friends, any of my family members. That's all I need to do. Uh, a quick like Facebook um, profile update or a, a sweet meme that we throw up on Instagram or something and hope that's going to change everyone's mind. Um, but in reality, this is a culture war, right? Like there are legitimate trenches that we are having to work through. And I think often in, here in Canada, at the very least, when we look at the, the success of the American pro-life movement, we say, well, why, why aren't we seeing that here in Canada? Why can't we achieve 500 pieces of legislation in, in a year and, and 61 of them passing into legislation? And, and I think that it, it speaks to the fact of how hard Americans have worked and American conservatives have worked in the trenches, person by person, neighborhood by neighborhood, those you mentioned the, the yeah. street displays that, that live action do showing the reality of what abortion does to a preborn child. That's not comfortable, not just because it it takes up our time, but because it takes a long time to have those conversations. We do door knocking here as an organization, and it takes a long time to work our way through a neighborhood. And this is what we have to be in store for, right? That that I'm sure that that you've seen a lot of what's going on at the Supreme Court level with regards to a challenge to Roe v. Wade potentially coming up here, that kind of thing. This is not the time for conservatives to take their foot off of the gas pedal, though, right? Like this is the time more than ever for people to be having conversations with their friends, with their family members, with the people they come in contact with, and not just leave it to our, our politicians, not just leave it to the Supreme Court to transform our nation for us. Where do you see 
the role of one-on-one conversations when it comes to this culture war? Where do you see the balance between um, face-to-face interaction, social media? Obviously, you've been um, very, very active on social media, the role that social media plays in shaping public opinion as well. Where where does the average Joe, where, where does the person who doesn't have the platform of a podcast right. make the change in the culture war, I guess? Be educated. So I'd actually state it even more strongly than you would. So if Roe v. Wade is at some point overturned, then a lot of conservatives think, great, we won, victory, we did this. No, absolutely not. Not that you can't rejoice in that, not that you can't celebrate the amount of lives that are going to be saved by that, but absolutely not. What is going to happen the moment that Roe v. Wade is overturned, if it's overturned, is the left, the radical left, the abortion profiting left is going to go on a fence. They are going to unleash a whole new spate of talking points with the intent to change the culture back because the left understands what the right oftentimes doesn't, that the culture must be won first before it's going to be legislated. So they are going to, as soon as they lose legislatively, they're going to put all their efforts into changing public opinion back in favor of abortion so that the trickle effect is that pro-abortion legislation then comes, right? Then comes to states maybe even the federal level, what have you. So it's incumbent on us, whether you're a public figure, whether you have a platform, whether you don't have any of that, you just feel strongly about this, educate yourself. Look for the ever-evolving pro-abortion arguments and make sure that you know the facts to debunk them. Because we can nip that in the bud. We can stop them before they become mainstream if we see them coming and say, nope, stop, wait a second, that's false, and here's the reality of the thing, then they don't become as mainstream as my body, my choice, don't impose your views on me, this is about women's autonomy, et cetera, et cetera, all of the you know, go-to sort of timeless talking points from the left. If we nip the new, ever-evolving talking points in the bud, everybody has a role in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and being proactive and, and not being on the defense, I, I can't agree with you more on that. And and just a follow-up thought that I, I'm sure that we, we could talk about for a, a very long time, but but I, obviously there's a lot of evidence of a increasingly polarized kind of demographic in America where we're not only on the abortion issue, but a ton of political stuff. People are getting, seem to be getting further and further away. And yet I, I would argue that this is, again, similar kind of propaganda where the, the liberal left is just telling people that, oh, if, if you're conservative, you're so far away from the rest of us that, that we can't relate. In a way of trying to shut down conversation, I'm curious what your thoughts are when it comes to facilitating that conversation and how do we keep our foot in the door? How do we not let this get into a completely polarized, we have the pro-life camp and we have the, the pro-abortion camp, and there's such little interaction in between the two of them, whether because of shutdowns of free speech. Um, here in Canada, we're seeing a tremendous push from the pro-abortion movement in silencing pro, pro-life voices because they know they don't have any message um, that, that actually resonates. They, don't, they know they don't have any evidence for um, their worldview. They just try to prevent us from sharing our worldview. How do we keep our foot in the door? What do we need to do to make sure this doesn't become a completely polarized issue that does not offer the opportunity for engaging others? Where where is that that kind of balance, I guess, in action? Well, it might not be realistic to think that abortion is not going to be polarizing because it is life and death and it is uh, a tremendous amount of grief and hurt for women and men, too, who have suffered from abortion. So when you have human emotion inherent to an issue the way that it is inherent to abortion, it's always going to be polarizing. So I'm not sure that 
striving for it not to be polarizing is a realistic goal. And I don't mean that pessimistically. I just mean what we have to do is we always have to bring the volume down. We always have to bring it down to even toned re reality. You know, like I said before, you always have to bring it down to that and you have to be willing. And this is what I've told other people that are also pro-life advocates. You have to be absolutely willing in an open manner to talk about the talking points coming from the pro-abortion left that you absolutely wish that you don't have to address. You have to know exactly how you'd answer it and be willing to talk about what about instances of rape? What about instances of incest? What about instances of life of the mother or fetal abnormalities? Go ahead and talk about that. What about mothers who can't afford the baby once it's born? What about mental health? All of these different scenarios that are the ones that conservatives don't want to seem like they're making it harder for the mother. They don't want to seem uncompassionate. They don't want to seem like they're imposing pain on somebody. So conservatives sometimes avoid talking about that stuff or they talk about it a little bit too factually. They leave the compassion out of it because it's such a painful thing to talk about. And I would encourage people be willing to talk about that stuff. Be willing to feel that stuff. Be willing to show your compassion because when you do that, the other side is going to listen. Women who are in those circumstances are going to listen to you when they feel like you actually relate to what they're going through and maybe you can provide a better alternative for them. That's how you're going to um that's how you're going to counter this polarization amongst people. Among politicians, that's never going to go away. We can try to ostracize the fringy radical leftists who are so extreme on abortion by exposing how fringy and extreme they are on abortion, but they are profiting from it. They're profiting from this. This is part of their ideology. They want the breakdown of the family. They want women to be victimized. They want people to feel like they can only be dependent on government. They want the money that comes from these huge abortion businesses. So in that sense, fringy politicians, you may never change their minds, but that's not really who we're, who we're talking about. We want to make public opinion so solidly pro-life that even if there are radically leftist pro-abortion politicians, they don't feel like they can be true about their beliefs in abortion because they think that it would be so unpopular with their electorate. Yeah, that's that's great. Now, I'm trying to, to think of some of the things that the audience might be thinking about, and you've answered this next question um, in some degree already, but looking at the current cultural landscape, looking at where we are, looking at the not only the goals and the vision of the left, but also the progress that they've been making on so many different issues. Uh, I think about conservatives, um, you know, conservatives generally have bigger families. Um, don't mean to stereotype, but that's that's often the thing. And we're just like just reality. You know, that's it's reality. So, I mean, we have more responsibilities at home. Many of us have responsibilities at church and various other places. Um, and uh, and we like to keep it that way. Not going to lie. We, we do like to keep it that way. And then we look out at the current cultural landscape. We look at politics. We look at the the academy and the university and, and all these things that are being taught. And it's disheartening. It's discouraging. Now, you're talking about um, getting involved, going out, having these conversations, which is great and it inspires people. Um, but what do we do when we're discouraged in a sense? Like, how do we keep our fire going? How do we keep our vision? And perhaps maybe speak from experience, like how have you done that in the face of the pushback that you've received from the other side? Well, there's two different ways. There's, I think, the morale part of the thing, which is a, a personal internal thing. And then there's the practical part. So the practical part, if you're feeling discouraged, if you see the radical left chalking up a win in some area, then you don't feel like you can move away from your responsibilities, whether it's your family, whether it's your household, whether it's your job, whether it's your volunteer work at church. If you don't feel that you can dedicate time to that, 
then donate to somebody who is fighting that that exact fight that you see is, you know, slowly tipping in the in the favor of the left. Right. Because that does make a difference. A lot of times the organizations that are really successful, it takes money. It takes resources to make that stuff happen. They're not sending fundraising emails just for fun. They hate that part. They want to dedicate all of their time to fighting the culture wars. They just need the money to do it. So if you don't have the time to do it, Try to donate, if you can, to an organization that you believe is effective to do it. And if you don't have a lot of money, then that can be part of your sacrifice. That can be part of, don't buy that new pair of shoes, you know, don't buy that soda and donate just a little bit of what you have because every little bit does help. And I'm not saying this as someone who's trying to fundraise for any particular organization. I just know I've done that before in situations where I wish that I could be out there being an activist. I can't. So I'm trying to empower those who are and doing it successfully. So in the practical way, I think that's a good solution. In the personal way, if you feel demoralized in the pro-life movement, and it's easy to, in a sense, because this, these are children, these are pre-born children who are dying every day, look at some of the successes that we've had. I mean, look at the facts of the matter. We are changing public opinion. We are changing legislation on the state level. We are educating a populace. We, in the past five years in the United States, of course, we have appointed so many pro-life judges and justices to the judiciary, including the Supreme Court of the United States. We had a president, not this president, obviously the previous one, who actually spoke out in favor of life. There are so many things to be encouraged about in the personal way that, I mean, it, it's it's almost hard to stay discouraged. If you're staying discouraged, stop, back up for a second and ask yourself if you're just looking at the propaganda of the other side, because the propaganda of the other side wants you to be discouraged. They want you to feel like you're losing. They want you to feel like you shouldn't do anything because it's just not worth it. It's never going to be effective. And that's just not true. Absolutely. And I, I think that circles back to the the absolute um, role that, that both of our shows, Liz Wheeler podcast and, and the Pro-Life Guys podcast, that's why it's so important that we take our head out of the sand of mainstream media and and realize that there is good news out there. And then it's not just contrived good news. It's not just like, oh, this one random thing in this random village um, elsewhere around the world sort of thing. But But we have these huge successes because like you said, the mainstream media wants us to give up. That's how pro-lifers lose, right? Especially in the pro-life movement where we've talked about the gains that we're making right now. How do pro-lifers lose? We don't show up. We, we talk about this in conversations all the time that if we can bring the conversation to its natural conclusion, then we win. All of the facts, all of the evidence, all of reality is on our side. All the abortion advocates need to do, though, is prevent us from getting there. They need you to be discouraged. They need you right. to give up. They need you to stop sharing your point of view. And that's why I'm, I'm so glad that you're um, entering into the realm of podcasts. I, we, Peter, you and I, we have absolutely loved podcasts over the last, we're, we're almost at a year now that we've been podcasting. It's been phenomenal to be able to interact with our guests and whatnot. And, and before, before Peter dives into where to find um, the Liz Wheeler show, Maybe, maybe share with the guests of the Pro-Life Guys podcast what to expect from there. What, what, um, you've mentioned that you're, you're going to be doing three episodes a week. What are they going to expect? They're going to see guests. They're going to get content. What are they getting from the Liz Wheeler podcast? In one word, they're going to get reality. We are going to be 
um, unapologetic. We are going to play offense and they are going to get reality. For example, the episodes that we did last week, we followed the money from Dr. Fauci at the NIH to a subcontractor or to a contractor who subcontracted that money, American taxpayer money, to the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China, where they conducted experiments on bat coronaviruses. We showed you the facts. We showed you the reality of the situation. We also talked about the Derek Chauvin verdict in the George Floyd case. We talked about why that should be overturned. And that's not, it might sound controversial, but it's not when you look at the evidence of the case, when you look at the fact that it was an unfair trial just on the merits of the trial, not even the merits of the charges against him. We talked about mask mandates. We talked about where the deep state, where these bureaucrats come from, how they're able to survive, and where that came from through this series of progressive actions all the way back to the 1920s. Those are three shows that we talked about, or three topics we talked about last week. People tuned in to get the reality, to hear the truth, uh, to find out what's actually going on, to cut through the BS. And we had a we had a lot of fun doing it because, like I said at the beginning, it's a more personal connection with my audience. So it's a little different than cable news. And it's been absolutely great so far. That's good to hear. And remind our listeners once again where we can find this podcast. And it's a Definitely. video podcast, correct? It is. It's a video podcast. So you can go to LizWheelerShow.com to find all the different platforms where you can access it. If you're a listener of podcasts, you can get it on Apple uh, Podcasts. You can get it on Spotify. If you prefer watching it in video form, you can go to YouTube. You can go to Rumble. Or you can join us on Locals. It's my Locals is my pal uh, Dave Rubin's social media network that he set up to avoid big tech censorship. You can also, if you become a Liz Wheeler Show uh, community VIP on Locals, you can get the episodes ad-free every time that we drop them. So go to LizWheelerShow.com. If you do want to subscribe, please do so on Apple Podcasts. It helps us stay on the charts, which helps more people discover the content and hear reality. And if you do, come over to Locals. Uh, go ahead and say hi. I'd love to hear from you. Great. Thank you. And I think for our listeners, this is an indication. Uh, this conversation is an indication of some of the the content and the uh, just the, the clear thinking on some of these issues that they'll be getting from the Liz Wheeler show. So thank you so much, Liz, for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Peter and Cam. It's been great. That was Liz Wheeler, the host of the new podcast, The Liz Wheeler Show. You can learn more by going to www.lizwheelershow.com or finding uh, about her podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your content. Cam, uh, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap this up, sir? Yeah, two things that I... So one thing that I want to reiterate just from the episode that I absolutely loved from Liz of just the importance of not only getting our hands dirty, getting into the trenches of the culture war, but also making sure that I, I loved her comment about the polarization of the abortion conversation, that, that there is some inherent component of polarization when it comes to the emotion that often charges the conversation. And yet, I really love the fact that she talked about how we don't want this conversation to be polarized. We don't want this to be a me versus you kind of thing. We don't want to be the right against the left or conservatives against liberals. We want to find that common ground. We've talked about this, Peter, so many times on the show about building common ground with people to show that this isn't a me versus you kind of thing, but rather a let's work together to solve these problems in ways that don't kill human beings. Um, and so I, I loved how she had that take on it. And I, I really love what she's going to be doing on the Liz Wheeler show. Um, I'm sure there's going to be lots of spicy debate and conversation happening there. I, I look forward to tuning in because I'm sure there's there's things that I'll, I'll learn for the first time. I'm sure there's things that I'll disagree with at times and agree with um, very often as well. Um, 
One thing that I also wanted to mention, Peter, just as we as we wrap up here, is that if you as a listener want to book Peter and or myself as a speaker, we are now doing speaking engagements. Um, restrictions are not only changing here in Canada, and so if you want to have us come and speak in person, we'd love to do that. Um, but if you also just want to have a virtual talk, I did a couple last week with two different churches in the Vancouver area. Went really, really smoothly. Um, great to see some very, very... Um, Flattering endorsements coming from both of them. You can you can find out more about our speaking on our website, ProLifeGuys.com, um, and book, like I said, either uh, the two of us together, if you want to have both Peter and I going back and forth like we do on the show, or if you just want to book one of us, you can absolutely do that as well. Uh, we'd love to talk dates and times and, and content for how to equip you and your community with the tools that you need to change minds, save lives, and be a part of transforming our culture. That's it for me, Peter. What do you got to, to wrap us up here? Yeah, I was just thinking about what Liz was talking about, about all conservatives getting involved in the ways that they can. And we have a series here on the Pro-Life Guys podcast called Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, where we want to do just that. We want to highlight some of the people that are doing that very thing. Highlight people who are, are parents, have children, have full-time jobs, are in school, or have uh, any number of other uh, responsibilities that they have to do throughout the week, throughout the month. And yet they're finding the time to stand out on street corners, to go to go door to door and to reach out to our pub, the, the general public and share with them the truth about abortion. There are some really cool stories in there of, of people who've not only changed their mind, but of babies that have been saved and some extremely providential moments that have happened. Those stories you can find on Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, which you can find in audio form on your favorite podcast catcher or in video form on YouTube by searching and by subscribing to the Pro-Life Guys podcast on YouTube. So go check that out. That is Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, one of the series we do. We come out with a weekly episode highlighting some of the unsung heroes in the pro-life movement. That's it for us. Thank you so much once again for tuning in. We are honored that you continue to join us, that you listen to the podcast, that you've been uh, giving us reviews, that you've been reaching out to us with some of the questions you have. We love being part of your pro-life journey and of the pro-life work that you are doing. So thank you for allowing us that position. We hope you have a great week. We hope you have... Uh, yeah, a wonderful time as the, the weather is warming up and we hope that God blesses each and every one of you. Take care.